Alexa currently understands only eight languages and they want to scale this up to 50 and potentially 100. The entire linguist network, they say, is made up of lawyers. And welcome to another episode of SlaterPod. Hi there, Esther. Hey, Florian. This is a very special episode. So this is uh, 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 an ending of sorts and a beginning of sorts. Yeah, this is true. <laughs> well, I'm going to be taking a bit of a break uh, from Slater and SlaterPod. I was going to dive into some sort of analogy about how... Uh, I've been working on a personal uh, project in stealth mode <laughs> for uh, for about the past nine months. Um, but yeah, I couldn't quite make it work. So anyway, um, I will be going off on maternity leave um, and expecting, yeah, my first child in the next couple of weeks. So I'll miss everybody uh, audience-wise and also uh, yeah, doing pod every week, but I, I will return. I guess it's stealth if you're in a remote-only world. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> It's ready for its what was I say public uh, public beta public launch. <laughs> Before we uh, you know move the analogy further, we head over to uh, to our usual language industry coverage. So we got a lot to talk about in this uh, final episode before the big break. And to the listeners, we'll still see how we um, continue the pod. Definitely, we're going to continue the uh, the guest episodes. Probably going to bring other people from the Slater team on to do the news wrap. Uh, but we already have a few uh, guest episode schedules. So so don't worry, uh, the pot will uh, continue. And then Esther is going to be back in you know a few months from now. So we'll uh, you'll see. Hey, today we'll talk about Netflix and streamers, Amazon and more languages coming to Alexa, uh, big buying law linguists, separate tech buying, TSD and TransFX has a new owner as well. So let me get started on the on the Netflix just very briefly. I mean, uh, we usually when when you know, these big streamers uh, announce results, we're, we're going to try and find out more about how their localization efforts are going, right? Because uh, they're obviously uh, sucking up a lot of market resources with uh, all the dubbing and subtitling that's going on. Now, yesterday was uh, a bit of a bad day for Netflix and for anybody who, who is invested in Netflix, their stock tanked by like 35% after they announced that they actually, for the first time in history, lost subscribers instead of growing. So everybody kind of has this perpetual growth trajectory for them and they, they, they lost subscribers. Um, I think it was kind of minuscule, it was like 200,000. 200,000, yeah. And there, there was some kind of weird, there was some caveat around, well, if you count Russia, then it's... Because uh, I think they've they've sort of uh, removed Russia from the list of countries that can access it. So there was like some kind of figure of thing where if you don't count Russia, then basically they did add uh, half a million or something. Yeah, and then they also had this whole thing about uh, kind of password sharing, which is, uh, is is a problem. Like if 100 million people share the password. They're doing the try and clamp down on it, aren't they? Like no longer enable sharing across households or something or different households. Yeah. So from from a lock perspective, not much um, we um, that we that we can disclose. We're, we're going to write a, a quick piece about it. Uh, by the time we're, we're talking about this, we haven't published it. So, um, I mean, generally, they they continue to push the global content angle, of course, because I mean, you know, if you're completely maxed out in the U.S., the only growth that's left is uh, is global, right? Is uh, international, as the Americans say. So, you know, in in other markets, potentially, you know, Southeast Asia, India, et cetera. And so 
Uh, Ted Sarandos, Chief Content Officer, co-CEO said, our ability to bring global notoriety to local content players is unprecedented and it's pretty unrivaled at this point, you know, giving examples of Squid Game and Lupin, meaning a lot of into English dubbing and subtitling um, as well. So, you know, as they're scouring the globe for content, they also want to bring it back to uh, to the US and the UK, et cetera. So that, that, that demand isn't going to dry up. They also now moving on to the uh, to the gaming side of things. I think that's fascinating, right? So we also looked at the earnings uh, call transcript, and they the, the the Reed Hastings CEO and founder he said that they're building capacity in gaming faster than they did than they did when they entered Phil. They they said they build a big capacity to be able to provide our members or their members with interactive and gaming experience. So gaming another. Uh, franchise and other uh, business they want to ramp up and they're ramping up. We spoke about, I think, in the previous part about the new roles they're hiring or we published a piece, I don't recall. Um, uh, the COO said it's a top priority for them, uh, gaming that is, and they're very focused on it. We want to ramp and scale the investment open to building organically an M&A. So anybody who's in gaming, again, this is a good time, you know, um, if you want to sell your business, potentially you can exit it to Netflix. So not bad. Uh, and they say they're learning more and more every day from the license titles that they've got, et cetera. Long story short, gaming a big uh, a big strategic priority for, for, for Netflix, probably even more so now that the growth is, is really stalling in, in kind of the core geographies, right? So from a localization point of view, not necessarily bad news because, well, I mean, you're going to have to go global even more, which means more subbing, more, dub, more subtitling, more dubbing. Uh, and you know, if you're in gaming, there's a, a big new potential client for for your game lock. Um, yeah. Also, I mean, Disney. You know, we're we parsed. They they also spoke about it in their last earning call. It's already two two months ago. I mean, they're also pushing, of course. I mean, part of the reason why Netflix is struggling because you know you got you know Prime, you got HBO Max, you got D Disney, you got Apple, you got every 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 big company there just chasing that uh, that streaming streaming dollar and um they're also absorbing a lot of capacity from from a localization point of view. So for the industry as a whole it's a good thing. Uh for for I guess our industry it's a, it's a good thing. Moving on to a company that does content but also um publishes giant data sets for language understanding Amazon. Yeah. What's Amazon doing? What is Amazon doing? I asked myself when this story appeared on our editorial radar this morning. Um, so the headline is Amazon releases 51 language data set for language understanding. And we haven't had a lot of time to unpack this, but I still wanted to bring it up on the pod today. So basically, um, Alexa currently understands, quote unquote, only eight languages. And they want to scale this up to 50 and potentially 100 or, you know, whatever the marketing thing is, like every language under the sun. So they open sourced, they created and now open sourced a huge language set uh, for language understanding that people can build um, upon, right? So Alexa can understand more, more languages. They call it massive, uh, a massive data set for a massively multilingual NLU. Um, so... The, again, this is basically just helping uh, Alexa understand more humans on the planet uh, in you know more low resource languages away from just English, Spanish, German, uh, you know, Chinese, etc. And what's really interesting in this is that they said that they created this giant. What are the numbers here? One million 
utterances. One million utterances. Per language. Per language. So they created this one million utterances per language data set by tasking professional translators, they say, to localize and translate the English-only data set into 50 typologically diverse languages, including low-resource languages. That's a big uh, project. I guess it's one million per language. I mean, it says one million spanning 51 languages, or I suppose into 50 languages, including the English source. But even so, it's a, it's a huge huge undertaking, right, to translate that amount of... Do you mean it's 51 million utterances eventually in all, or is it just 1 million across or spanning? I don't really know from the wording whether it means 1 million utterances per language or 1 million utterances overall. If they call it massive, it would have to be 1 million <laughs> per. <laughs> so... Uh, well, I would say let's check back in uh, and correct ourselves in the next part, but you're not going to be here. So if I remember, I'll fact check. Yeah, I can say anything I like at this point because yeah, you can't yeah, correct yeah. me. <laughs> but anyway, I mean, they're, they're translating, if nothing else, using professional translators into 50 languages, which is, you know, a big, that's a big task. 18 domains, 16 and tens, 55 slots, whatever that means. Long story short, somebody got a giant job from Alexa, from Amazon to get this done if they say professional translator so that probably didn't source those translators um, on their own. And, uh, and yeah, now, you know, the developers are off and can develop whatever Alexa needs to understand those 50 languages. So good stuff. We'll follow up on, I really, I, I want to understand if this is 50 million in the, like per or across, right? I, I think it's per. I mean, it does say every utterance is given in all 51 languages. Yeah, so it's probably that, yeah. Back to the fam more familiar shores of language industry, mergers and, crucially, acquisitions. So who bought whom and what did we learn about it? Who bought whom? Uh, yeah, so a few stories to share this week on uh, the M&A front. A couple of them, uh, well, would have, I think, were announced probably last week, but... Um, we were busy talking about our market report uh, and a couple of other M&A stories to, uh, to really uh, talk about these last week. So, um, yeah, we had, uh, I think, announced on the 12th of April, big language solutions acquired uh, law linguists. Um, so this is a law linguist is a legal translation specialist for, uh, that is uh, based in Italy. So interestingly, I quite like this. It was founded by, I mean, it's, it's so specialist. I don't think you could get more specialist than this, just looking at sort of the way that they're talking about it. So it's founded by three attorneys um, just over a decade ago. The entire linguist network, they say, is made up of lawyers, um, which is pretty impressive to find, you know, that many lawyers willing to work as translators, I suppose, uh, solely. Um, but they're covering 100 language pairs uh, with the, their uh, linguist network of lawyers. Um, and that, I think, is really what they're kind of hammering as their USP um, and sort of niche in the legal space. Uh, they work uh, mainly with clients in Italy, Germany, UK, um, including law offices, multinational corporations and public um, institutions. So interesting acquisition for for Big. Um, I mean, obviously, may remember Big has done uh, several other acquisitions um, in the past couple of years, um, backed by their private equity backers, M South. Um, so this really represents an expansion into uh, the European market or more of an expansion um, into 
both you know regulated markets this kind of critical content um, that they are actively trying to pursue they also acquired um, here in the UK Dora Worth languages um, just under a year ago in in um, 2021 so that was a life sciences um, specialist um, so kind of more of those um, more of those critical content niches that they're that they're now um, diving into um, so I mean originally they I think they started off by acquiring pro translating in the US um, as well as ISI which was a healthcare specialist and an OPI provider called language link um, those are the US based acquisitions and now uh, we're seeing more happening um, in in Europe so Jeff Brink told us that the revenue um, for 2022 is projected to come in at around $90 million now. Um, and yeah, moving forward, they're looking to use uh, the sales team to expand uh, the legal translation sector work across Europe and also across the US. Um, and um, sort of tucked in another little announcement, I think, with with this news that uh, the plan is to rebrand everything so all of those acquired companies under a big language master brand by the end of 2022 so that was the first of the M&As that's going to keep them busy the whole rebranding quite uh, quite interesting I always like when they rebrand I always like when it's under one roof I think this these conglomerates can get you a don't like a a such and such company model I don't know why I think in the short term, it's I suppose it's easier and don't want to give clients a fright and all this sort of thing. You can't be ready with the design work like day one of the acquisition, can you? No, but but I mean, how 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 big of a brand was SDL, and how fast are people forgetting about SDL just Aww. because it's now part of RWS? <laughs> no, I mean it's true, isn't it? It's like it's sad but true. Yes, it's sad but true. So. And it's just easier to manage it. So anyway, now who's next? Next is our friends, our friends in España who went to Alemania. Well, I like this story. This was a Separatech that's acquired uh, TSD. So this, in Separatech's uh, first acquisition since they themselves were majority acquired by private equity um, last year. Uh, so Separatech, as you said, a, a Spain-based LSP, uh, reasonably sizable now. So they generated, I think, six, just over $60 million in 2021, making them one of the top 25 LSPs globally, according to our index. Um, so they've acquired German language service provider TSD, which is based in Cologne, um, has a branch in Berlin and has around 80 employees. Um, so roughly, uh, we don't know the exact size of TSD because they declined to participate in the LSPI this year. But last year, 2021, they did participate based on 2020 revenues uh, when they generated 9 million uh, euros, so around $11 million in 2020. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, for Separatech expansion into uh, German-speaking region, so the Dach region. They have a presence they have a presence here in Basel, yeah. Yeah, exactly. In Switzerland, they they were talking about that as well, saying that they, uh, I think, started building that out a few years ago. Um, but that German, you know, German speaking market is strategically important for them. Um, Separatech for, has one of its main sectors is IP, um, in uh, intellectual property, and they say that there's a good opportunity for IP in the German speaking markets, um, and that. This is really the first step in the kind of inter well, 
I mean, they're, they're already international, but it's sort of uh, first uh, acquisition in what will probably be, you know, more international expansion uh, moving forward. Um, TSD, so I mean, it, it's sort of typical, what we think of as sort of like typical Germany, typical German speaking clients where you've got engineering manufacturing sectors um, heavily represented. So automotive energy and construction uh, customers, uh, they also do some life sciences and finance, um, was owned um, by a family. So one of, you know, kind of few privately owned companies, I suppose, uh, left, um, well, they, I mean, somewhat smaller than um separate but yeah tsd was owned by the freebot family since 1987 so for the past 35 years it's interesting because you know that separate was also family owned yes i think we you know when we published the piece we made that parallel as well they actually share sort of a similar period in in history under private ownership this helps to relate right when you start these discussions and like you you know Common journey, common uh, kind of dynamics there. So, yeah. Well, and you've got the CEO and founder of Separatech, um, Juan Julian Leon, who is still leading the company as CEO, even after the private equity um, investment in 2021. Uh, likewise, you know, the two, the two, I think the two people who are at the helm of TSD, um, so you had Dominique Pouls and her husband, Stefan, uh, who are at the helm of TSD are uh, also joining Separatech uh, uh, as sort of MDs of the of the German subsidiary as well. Um, so yeah, looking forward to seeing what what happens there and also what Separatech uh, does next. Let's go all the way to California, where Transifex sold to Park Partners. Uh, what what is what is Park Partners? Yeah, I, I wasn't super aware of this kind of model um, actually prior to this announcement. But um, Park Partners is uh, what you call a search fund, or at least what they call a search fund. So, not kind of typical private equity that maybe would expand, you know, have an expansive portfolio in language services, in other business services, or healthcare, or whatever. Um, Park Partners was a, is a search fund, and they were looking for one business specifically to own and operate. Um, Park Partners itself is actually backed by institutional or financial investors. There's kind of several layers uh, of things happening there. But basically, the managing partners, um, Chris Reese and Tony Pilnix, as the managing partners of Park Partners, are going now to be essentially taking over management of Transifex as CEO and president, respectively. So it's, it's what it is, it's kind of uh, private equity at the base or at the kind of foundation of this, teaming up with some entrepreneurs um, or, you know, seasoned kind of management professionals, i.e. Chris Reese and Tony Pilnick, to uh, take over and lead and run um, an organization. So that's what's happening here. And for those few who don't know Transifex, because we kind of led on the the, the the deal structure and ownership, I mean, what 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 is it? What is it? What did what did they buy? Yeah, what did they buy? Uh, well, so Transifex is continuous localization. That's their niche. Um, they are pure play technology, and they focus on software and digital content. So they're doing uh, they offer a SaaS platform model for website mobile app and game localization they provide you know integration workflow automations and they're really specifically focused on the area of like of supporting agile design and development processes so all all the kind of you know i don't want to say modern tools but tools that people use in in development of today's software um 
So that is trans effects. I mean, they, I think they've scaled somewhat, although we don't know the exact, uh, we don't know the exact sort of ARR or revenues at the moment, um, but they did go through two previous funding rounds in 2014, 2015. So raised prior to this, um, six and a half million dollars. Um, but as, I mean, some kind of indication is that Park, at least on their website, said they were looking for a service or product with ARR, uh, annual recurring revenue of at least five million, profit of at least one point five million dollars. Um, so gives you at least a mit- some kind of minimum threshold for for trans effects there, given that it's pure software. Um, if they're disciplined, for sure. Um, but they did say that TransFX grew 35% in 2021 last year. They have around 55 employees, um, mostly based in Greece, uh, but also um, they kind of got their corporate headquarters in uh, in California, in the US. Well, congrats to Dimitris. Great, uh, great story. Founded it, ran it, sold it. All right, that concludes this segment. And... Uh, no guest, no guest this week, but uh, exciting guest next week. So, uh, yeah, maybe maybe you'll check in on the next podcast. Yeah, I'll probably uh, flip over to the other side and become a become a listener and or watcher. Let's see. <laughs> Hopefully, all right. Thanks, everyone.